0: Welcome to the 117th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the past week of NBA action, and recapping the NFL Conference Championship games. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NBA where Patrick went 3 1 with his predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went 0-2, and in NCAA basketball, Patrick also went 3-1, and which brings his weekend total to 6 wins and 4 losses, and that brings his overall record to 340 and 244, which is a 58.2% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts?
1: Um, well, you know, if you had told me before the weekend that I'd go 0-2 in my NFL predictions, I would probably be pretty happy because it means that my jinxing of the 49ers worked perfectly and my Rams are in the Super Bowl, uh, which is true because no matter what, that would have meant that I got that game wrong. Uh, you know, I, I, I could I'd rather be 1-1, one one, obviously, with the Chiefs winning their game too, but uh, if I was 1-1 one one at the expense of the Rams, I wouldn't like that very much. So uh, I'll, I'll take the 0-2 for this week. And uh, overall, still had a good week and uh, in the NBA. Had some good predictions this week, finally. I mean, I think the one game that I expected to be right the most was actually the game that I lost in the NBA because the Bucks got demolished on their home court by the Nuggets. Uh, the Nets almost pulled out a win at the Warriors, but the Warriors won. And then the other two games, uh, the Hornets, uh, much to Michael Jordan's dismay, played a close game against the Lakers uh, that probably shouldn't have been very close. But regardless, they still got the win. And then I'm struggling to remember the last game that I picked, but I know I got it right too. Uh, probably had something to do with Memphis, I would assume. Yeah, it was the Jazz and the Grizzlies. I, I seem to pick Memphis games every single week because, well, they're interesting. Uh, but moving on from the NBA in, uh, in college basketball, um, the one game I got wrong was uh, a game that I don't think anybody could have predicted the outcome of, and that was the fact that Kentucky went on the road and, well... They beat Kansas, but I don't know if that's doing it justice. They didn't just beat them; they they, they really killed them. Um, they were up by thirteen or more, I think, for the entire second half. When Kansas thought they had an opportunity to get back into the game, that was when they had cut the lead down from seventeen to fifteen or sixteen to thirteen or sixteen to fourteen. Kansas was really never in this game. It was ne- i mean, I think Jay Billis said at the end of the game it was never really a game at all. Uh, but Card to Kentucky for doing that. That was the game I got wrong. Uh, Providence won on the last second, uh, on last second free throw shooting and defense. Um, they were losing for most of that game, but only by small margin. Uh, Purdue led by 20, and then Ohio State came all the way back to tie, and Purdue had to make the game winner with, well, a game-winning buzzer beater. Uh, that was Jaden Ivey's third career buzzer beater against Ohio State to win a game. Uh, so... It's pretty good record there, and I guess uh, Ohio State probably should steer to not make the game close because it's going to end in heartbreak, or they're going to... Uh, well, I mean, they're going to lose to Jaden Ivey hitting a buzzer beater as long as he's there, and if he, uh, if the game isn't close, then, well, they just hope they win, and if they didn't, then, well, they didn't deserve to win anyway. Uh, but that was the other game there, and then uh, there was the uh, Texas-Tennessee game where Texas also had a huge lead. Um, it went on a giant run, a very extended run. I think it was a 22-7 to run over or 29-7 run or something like that, but it was over the last five minutes of the first half and also like the first six or seven minutes of the second half. It was a very, maybe not that long, but a pretty long run. Um, and then Texas ended up giving up that lead, but while they gave up that lead, they also came back uh, to win the game at the very end, and uh, that's how those predictions went.
0: All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays. Let's move on to uh, our weekly review of NBA action. And we will start, as always, with our most impressive teams of the last week.
1: Let's start with the Atlanta Hawks, who went 3-0 and this week. They beat the Lakers, they beat the Celtics, and they beat the Sacramento Kings. Um, look, Hawks here for the second week in a row. They're on a very long winning streak. Uh, it looked like they had really faded out, and they were a their former themselves last year. But now they're looking... Just like they did at the end of the year, a formidable contender in the East, as opposed to really close to a bottom feeder at some point this season. I believe they were 17-25 and 25 before they've now won seven in a row to get to 24-25, and 25, which again, still not great, but um, trending in the right direction for the Hawks. Uh, moving on from them, the Nuggets went 4-0 and this week. They beat Milwaukee, as I mentioned before, New Orleans, Brooklyn, and Detroit. Obviously, the New Orleans and Brooklyn wins, or the New Orleans and Detroit wins, don't mean that much. I mean, you could you could make that argument. Um, and well, frankly, the Brooklyn at home right now might be worse than the Pelicans because when they don't have Kyrie Irving, it's just James Harden and backups that aren't really supposed to be playing crucial roles uh, for a good team. They're supposed to be playing very very niche, complementary roles with a big three on that team side. And obviously, uh, the way that that roster is constructed when Kyrie's only playing part-time and Kevin Durant is injured, that is not going to happen. And even Joe Harris isn't even there right now because he's been injured for a while. So uh, the Nets not doing so well right now, but the Nuggets still uh, got that win, and it's still important because they are still, after all, uh, one of the super teams in the league right now. Uh, but moving on from that, the Warriors went 3-0 this week. They beat Brooklyn. They beat Milwaukee or Minnesota. Sorry, not Milwaukee. Um, and they also beat Dallas. Overall, the Warriors uh, just played a really good week this week. I mean, I could argue a lot of times that you'd expect them to go three and zero, so maybe this isn't so surprising. But they still played impressively. And I, th- and I think um, the one thing that I really was impressed with this week was the fact that Clay Thompson and Steph Curry had a terrible, 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 terrible shooting night uh, against Brooklyn yet, first of all, they still won the game, and second of all, they played so well together in the fourth quarter that it made it look like they were on fire, when in reality, when you check the stat sheet, you went, my god, they were a detriment to their team tonight. I think they combined for 10 of 34 shooting or something like that that night, but somehow they played just well enough that uh, it, it might not have been that bad. That feels like it's too bad, but it might actually be, <laughs> might actually be that bad. Um, but, you know, it, it was the clutch shots that won the game for the Warriors that will be remembered as pretty much as always. I mean, somebody hits a game-winning shot in game seven and no one's going to care if he shot one for 15 because he made that one shot. Uh, but again, that that's kind of, you know, that, that is what happens in the NBA. And Klay Thompson and Steph Curry were great in the fourth quarter, but, you know, they still don't have their, their synergy quite down. And But I, I still have to say I'm impressed that they have gone 3-0 and this week because of the fact that they played a pretty decent schedule. They played only playoff teams. They played without Steph and Klay playing to their potential and they played without Draymond Green, and they still went 3-0, and that was really honestly due to uh, undeserving All-Star starter, Andrew Wiggins. Yes, he is completely undeserving. Don't even talk to me about it. I think it's pretty obvious. Just look at, there are plenty of players. I mean, there are two players on his former team that should be on there ahead of him, Anthony Edwards and Carl anthony Towns, that could have gone there uh, as an All-Star starter, as a forward, but putting that aside, um, and by the way, his own teammate Draymond Green should be there instead of him too, uh, but Putting that aside, he did play a very good game um, against Brooklyn, and he was really the reason why they were able to still be in the game. He was on fire shooting. I think he was 7 of 11 shooting at the half, uh, while Steph and Clay continued to shoot a lot of shots and not make many of them. Uh, but then when it came to the fourth quarter, Wiggins had his shots, didn't really make many of them. He made a few, but not not exactly as clutch as Steph and Clay have been. And uh, in the end, they got them the win, as it should be. But uh, moving on from that, the Philadelphia 76ers also went 3 0 this week. They beat Sacramento, they beat the Lakers, and they beat New Orleans. Uh, not too impressive of a schedule, but Joel Embiid and this team just keep playing super well, and I think you got to give them credit. No matter who they're playing, they have been up to the challenge all year. And, uh, you know, without Joel Embiid, this team is not that great, and uh, we know that. But, I mean, I still think if they can pull out uh, a few wins without him, whether he needs to rest or whether he's injured, uh, they can really kind of pad their record to the point where they'll have some decent home court advantage in the playoffs and uh, hopefully enough to carry them through a round or two because I don't know how any team is going to be going through the East when they're not the one seed, especially with how jam-packed it is with those top six teams, including Cleveland and Brooklyn and Milwaukee and uh, the Sixers. I mean, it, the Nets, if I didn't already say them, there's a lot of Miami. I, I I probably said all of them. I probably repeated some of them, but they're... There's a giant clump at the top of the East. You should look at the standings and figure it out because it's really confusing. Uh, but overall, I think the Sixers are playing well enough to maybe even join that clump soon. Uh, and they're playing well enough that they should be able to win a playoff series off of one of those teams that they get the right matchup.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to the most disappointing teams of the last week, including somebody that maybe in that clump you were talking about.
1: Yeah, let's start with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, 0-3 this week, probably one of the only times they'll ever end up on this list because normally they're able to at least claw out one or two wins. But uh, losses to Golden State, I talked about that loss. Uh, Kyrie still played very well in that game, but, you know, playing only part-time. Lost to the Lakers and then lost to Denver. I'm going to circle back to the Lakers' loss for one second because, um, I mean, they, they were playing against Anthony Davis in his first night back. And obviously... There's something to be said about that and the fact that they played kind of a hard schedule there because that's a tough draw for them that the Lakers get Anthony Davis back after him not playing for so long and the game is at home, which means that the Nets don't have Kyrie. So it was just Harden um, and, you know, the rest of the bench guys there. Uh, no Joe Harris, no no Kevin Durant, and no Kyrie Irving. And really, I mean, that's three of the starting five. Um And that's something also, though, that they're going to have to deal with for the rest of the year most likely. Uh, If you look at Kyrie's situation, and obviously Kevin Durant will probably come back, but I don't think, if you look at these three players' records, I I don't think there's any way you can say that, well, Joe Harris has not really ever been injury prone, but as soon as he gets back, they'll at least have two of those guys pretty much every night. But Kevin Durant and and James Harden recently have not been the healthiest players um, in terms of their injury status, so... I don't think you can guarantee that those guys will be there night in, night out. Um, so they're going to have to learn how to play without them no matter who they're playing. Um, and, you know, they, they've done that over the course of the year, but uh, it, it seems like they're slumping a little bit right now. Uh, but moving on from them, let's go to one of those teams. I actually didn't go full full uh, blast on the Lakers right there because I forgot that they were my number two most disappointing team of the week. Uh, they lost to Atlanta, Charlotte, and Philly again. Charlotte's playing really well right now. I talked about how that game was close. Uh, Russell Westbrook has actually been really good this week. He was efficient shooting. He mm, maybe has still, still has some of those turnover things to fix, but hasn't been too bad when it comes to that. Um, and, and, you know, just a, efficient shooting, better scoring. Uh, and maybe part of that is Anthony Davis being back. In the Hornets game, Anthony Davis wasn't there, and people just thought that maybe Russ on his own is able to kind of work the court better. Uh, and who knows? Maybe that might be a thing. Maybe it isn't. Um, but in that game, he played well. And then... In their one win of the week against Brooklyn, I do have to, stay to say, the Lakers looked like they were back to full strength and back to the championship potential they have, but as you see this week, that was the one game of the entire week where Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis played, because LeBron did not play at Atlanta, he also didn't play at Charlotte, he only played that game at Brooklyn, and Anthony Davis wasn't there when they played Philadelphia, so when you look at that one game, you can say the Lakers played well. But the problem is, that was one game, and out of four games in a week, one of them has been injured every single game, at least, except for the one game where all three of them were healthy. They looked great then, but again, just like the Nets, you can't rely on them to be healthy, and that's the problem. You can say all all that you want, if they're healthy, then this, but they're not going to be healthy, so I'm starting to lose my faith in the Lakers because of that, because the if is just not the if part of that conditional statement is not really ever being fulfilled. Let's move on now to the Utah Jazz. Uh, they went 0 4 this week. Uh, they lost to Minnesota. They lost to Memphis, and they lost to Phoenix twice. And you know that schedule is really the reason why I have them. Uh, only, why I have them below the Lakers, and uh, also Donovan Mitchell hasn't played in a while. So, uh, but again. Just like I said that the Nets have to learn to win with only James Harden on the floor or only Kyrie on the floor, depending on the game, the Jazz definitely need to learn how to win without Donovan Mitchell, because the Nets have proven that they've done that in the past, and they're used to playing without him. Donovan Mitchell has not been injured that much, and when he has been, the Jazz look terrible every single time, Um, and even if he's playing, but he's playing while hurt, they still look terrible, Uh, so the Jazz need to figure that out, um, and the last two weeks have been evidence that they don't know how to do that, and... To make matters worse, Joe Ingles just tore his ACL. Uh, So he will be out for the year. It may be a little bit into next year, too. Overall, a season that looked pretty promising for the Jazz is starting to really spiral out of control downhill. Right now, you only have Mike Conley and Bojan Bogdanovic being the only starters, and and Rudy Gobert, obviously, the three of the five starters who have been there the whole year. But uh, other than them, I mean... You could argue Ingles and Donovan Mitchell are probably more important pieces of that. And then you have to see do they start Royce O'Neill? Do they start somebody else and keep Clarkson on the bench because he's so good from that six man role? Or does he have to flex into the starting role and does that affect how he plays? Uh, and look, I don't know what the Jazz are going to do, but I, I think no matter what, it won't have a positive impact because they're going to have to learn how to deal with however they're going to shift their rotation. And, uh, I, overall, I just don't see this team doing many great things for the rest of the season the way it's looking. I, I, I don't. I probably have more faith in them than I do in teams like the Lakers at this point, but I still don't have much faith in them. Moving on to the final team, the New York Knicks. Uh, they went 0-3 this week, played Milwaukee, Miami, and Cleveland again. Those three teams are all actually in that clump that I talked about at the top of the East, so not too surprising that they lost to them. Uh, but overall... Milwaukee didn't even have their best week this week. I mean, they lost to the Nuggets by 30 at home, so uh, it's not like they were uh, playing uh, at a high level on all cylinders or anything like that. They weren't going crazy this week, but uh, so you know, I'm not I'm not too high on the Bucks in terms of uh, losing to them is not an automatic excuse, at least in this current state of them. Uh, Miami, Cleveland, both very good teams, but look. The Knicks just have to win a game at some point. I mean, if you want to be a playoff team, you do have to beat other playoff teams. Uh, the Knicks really are kind of the East Conference, Eastern Conference version of the Sacramento Kings, honestly. That's what they're feeling like to me right now. They beat a lot of bad teams. They have weeks where they might go 2-2 two and two and 3-1, and one, and you think that there's hope for them, and they, and they pull off an upset or two, and then all of a sudden, they're not only losing to teams like Milwaukee, Miami, and Cleveland— But getting back to a few weeks ago, they're also losing to teams like Orlando and Detroit out of nowhere. So uh, overall, I don't like the way that the Knicks are going either. And frankly, that's a common third with all of these four teams, honestly. Other than the Nets, I'm really not too optimistic about any of these teams. I think the Knicks are in real danger of missing the playoffs. I think the Lakers are in real danger of going into the play-in and really having their season um, hang in the balance of one injury for one play-in game. Uh, And I think the same thing with the Jazz, and I also think that the Nets overall, I don't see them as the highest championship contender anymore, and I see really a few teams fighting with them, and I don't think it's very obvious anymore like it was before the season, but uh, back to the Nets, they were one of those teams that was supposed to compete for maybe a four or five seed, and they just have not looked the part, they've not played the part, they have not done well at all this year.
0: All right, well, who was your player of the week for the past week?
1: Well, the Grizzlies continue to impress me. I believe they had another undefeated week, but it's not enough when, you know, now I've come to expect a lot out of them, so they're going to have to play some ridiculous schedules to get above teams like the Hawks uh, going undefeated. Uh, But overall, Ja Morant has been insane recently, deserving uh, of the All-Star starting uh, appearance that he's going to get in February. Um, And look, 35 points, 6 rebounds, 6.7 assists, and 1.3 steals. His stats don't jump out at you at you as a triple double guy like Nikola Jokic or anything like that, but the fact of the matter is his impact is undeniable. And if you looked, if you've watched their games at all, you know that John Morant has just been pretty much unstoppable all year long, and he's really uh, becoming not even a dark horse MVP candidate at this point, really one of the front runners.
0: All right, well that wraps up our look back at the NBA action for the past week. Let's turn our attention to the NFL where we have a review of the NFL Conference Championship games. Let's start in the AFC, where the Bengals beat the Chiefs in overtime 27-24 to to capture their first AFC Championship since Super Bowl 16 when I was a kid.
1: The Chiefs had a 21-3 lead and took a 21-10 lead into the half, but it could have been a much bigger lead. Uh, the Chiefs did not score on first or second down from the one-yard line with nine seconds left. Uh, And the clock ran out before the Chiefs could even kick a field goal to make it 24-10. At that moment, that was really when the momentum started to swing in favor of Cincinnati. Uh, I don't know about Eli Apple taking that moment and crowning it into he's the best corner of all time. I mean, he hasn't done that much, but if you look at his Twitter threads recently, uh, he's done pretty much about everything you can stopping short of saying he's the best player of all time. Uh, but you can look that up for yourself later. I'm not here to talk about that. You'll find out. I think it's actually pretty funny if you look at it on your own. Just just trust me on that. Uh, but moving on from that, at that moment, I mean, look, I, I said it. The momentum started to swing in favor of Cincinnati. They shut down the Chiefs on the first drive of the second half um, and settled for a field goal only, but still got some points to make it a 21-13 game. Mahomes and the Chiefs got the ball back. But Mahomes immediately threw an interception on really just a dumb pass that he should have just thrown into the ground on the screen. Uh, Cincinnati took the ball with a short field and scored the tying touchdown and a two-point conversion. Uh, the two teams traded field goals in the fourth, and the game went into overtime, tied at 24. In overtime, everyone, including Josh Allen, check Twitter on that one too, thought the game was over as soon as Kansas City won the toss. But the Chiefs had two incompletions, and then on third and 10, Mahomes got desperate and was picked off by Von Bell attempting to throw the ball into double coverage. Jesse Bates tipped it to Von Bell, uh, who caught it with one hand basically off his knee. Uh, Then the Bengals marched down the field and set themselves up for a short 30-yard field goal. And Evan McPherson, of course, stayed perfect in the postseason, giving Cincinnati their first Super Bowl berth since 1989. And not to mention that, the seventh game in a row that ended on a game-winning field goal. Actually, on the last play of the game, and also it was the fifth game in a row, I should say, because all of the games from the divisional weekend and then this one.
0: Yeah, like you said, another great playoff game. After that first week of disappointing games, we've been treated to some Uh, ridiculously close and exciting games, including both games this weekend. We'll get into the next one. Um, Like you mentioned, big momentum shift at halftime, uh, especially because Cincinnati has come back against Kansas City a few weeks ago. They were down 11 at the half. So um, I think they went into that locker room with belief belief that they could come back and uh, and win this game. I think if Kansas City had managed to score three points or obviously punch in a, a touchdown at the end of the first half, it would have been a big difference mentally for Cincinnati. Give Cincinnati credit. Give Joe Burrow credit. Um, the guy, I don't know, three or four times, he looked like the play was dead, and he extended the play. Uh, a couple times we thought maybe uh, they should normally, if it wasn't the postseason, it would have been a ruled in the grasp or down, but great individual effort by Joe, Joe Burrow. Um, the other thing was at the end of the game, it just seemed like um, Kansas City's defense was deflated. I mean, um, Cincinnati in the overtime just really took the ball and, and ran the ball down the field. Um, Kansas City knew they were running, especially when they got close to field goal range or within long field goal range and couldn't do anything to stop them. So quite impressive by Cincinnati. Um, Congratulations to the Bengals. City of Cincinnati has been waiting for a winner for a long time. This team was the worst team in the NFL two years ago, and now they're in the Super Bowl. Pretty crazy turnaround.
1: Um, And, uh, I mean, the one thing that we haven't mentioned is the fact that um, I'm pretty sure it was the worst quarterback QBR drop-off from the first half to the second half in all of the postseason's history. If it wasn't, I'd be surprised to see what was. Uh, but Mahomes had a 98 QBR in the first half and had a 1.4 QBR in the second half. Um, 8 for 18, I want to say, with 55 yards and two interceptions in the second half and overtime. Uh, so Kansas City had the opportunities. Um, and I think... The Chiefs really, when they're at their best, make simple plays over and over and over again and just let their talent get the extra yards. You know, you throw little five-yard seams to Kelsey and he just keeps running and all of a sudden it's a 20-yard big play. You throw slants and crossing routes to Tyreek Hill and he runs across the entire field and it turns into 30 yards. But I think once the Chiefs had gotten their big lead, they just started to press a little bit and they got a little bit too cocky and, you know, you start throwing in a double coverage You start throwing on the run a little bit more. You try to pump fake a defensive tackle on a screen that you should have just thrown into the ground. I think Mahomes just not necessarily overthought it, but thought the game was going to be easier than it ended up being, and I think that really cost the Chiefs, and that's the reason why they ended up losing the game, not even just because of their defense.
0: Yeah, Kansas City, um, Mahomes had some rough first halves, but usually once he straightens it out, he's hot for the rest of the game. This was the unusual flip side of that, where he was... Fantastic! he of was gates. just
1: like that against the Bengals in the in the first game they played them in the regular season. Though it's pretty much an exact repeat of that game, actually.
0: Well, there's hope for everybody uh, in 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 the NFL if uh, you can go from worst to the Super Bowl in two years. You got to draft right. Got to get that quarterback, that stud wide receiver, mix in some other. They've had some other talent on the roster. New coach.
1: You have to do more than draft right. You have to be lucky enough that the player on the table is just that good. I don't think that you can say that other years this could have happened, because when you look at Sam Darnold, when you look at Josh Rosen, I mean, that was a quarterback class that we thought. I mean, obviously someone could have said, you could make the argument, well, if somebody had knew had, had evaluated Lamar Jackson and known how good he would have been, then maybe it would be a different story. But Lamar hasn't made it to a Super Bowl either. Uh, so look, Joe Burrow is just, he's just that guy. I mean, it, it's, really, it's really that simple. He is just that good. Uh, he was a generational talent. He should have been regarded as such the whole time. Uh, and you know, he's a winner. He's just a winner. And I think there's nothing more you can say about it. And look, it's not every year that somebody gets that, that somebody falls into your lap like that at number one overall. And, uh, I think the, the, the real reason why is just because they made the most simple pick. And then when, and then when given the opportunity to build how the organization wanted to build the team, or build how the quarterback wanted to build the team and build around the quarterback, the organization chose to build around the quarterback and how he wanted it constructed. Instead of picking Panay Sewell, who will be a perennial Pro Bowler for many years to come, even if he still stays on the Lions, they instead chose to pick Jamar Chase instead. And uh, let's just say it worked out. Um, That was a smart pick. And, you know, a lot of people said... Well, what are they going to do when he just gets sacked over and over again? Look at the Tennessee game; he got sacked nine times, and they still won the game, and he was still able to throw pretty effectively. Uh, and I think they figured out that sometimes you got that big, you got that great of a weapon, and you have that great of a quarterback; it can really overcome how bad your offensive line can be. I mean, it, it, I, I won't say that they're exempt from a possible similar out result than uh, what the Chiefs had last year, where their offensive line just imploded against a really good pass rush, and I wouldn't put it past them to lose by a lot in the Super Bowl because they can't score because Aaron Donald is just running up the field on every single play, but to get to the Super Bowl, they have done everything perfectly, Um, and, you know, really, honestly, the line didn't even play that bad in that game. They weren't great, but they weren't terrible whatsoever, and all they need to do, kind of like the Niners need Jimmy Garoppolo just to not lose the game, they just need the offensive line to not lose the game, and uh, they didn't.
0: Let's move over to the NFC Championship game. As we said, another great game, sixth in a row over the past two weekends. The Rams defeat the 49ers, break the six-game winning streak, 20-17, to advance to SoFi Stadium again for the Super Bowl.
1: Uh, yeah, after an early interception by Matt Stafford and a 0-0 first quarter, the Rams had the first score of the day with a to Cooper Cup on a third and 18 from the 20-yard line, I believe, uh, something in that range. But then the 49ers scored 17 unanswered points, including 10 in the second, one on a Debo Samuel screen, uh, some good throws by Jimmy Garoppolo in the two-minute drill to get a field goal for the Niners, and then seven in the third to take a 17-7 lead. Then the Rams came storming back. Uh, they completed the f- largest fourth-quarter comeback win in conference championship history in the entire NFL Uh they came back from a that 17-7 deficit, stayed all the way until the 4th, and won 20-17. This was the first game to not end with a score on the final play since the wildcard round. Fun fact. However, with the opportunity of a game-tying field goal after the Rams had hit a game-winning field goal, or what, what, what would eventually become a game-winning field goal, what at the time was a go-ahead field goal, um, and a chance to take the lead with a touchdown, as he was being sacked, Jimmy Garoppolo just decided to... I don't know, throw the ball around like I don't know, maybe resembling of uh, uh, Matthew Stafford in the Rams SoFi end zone on the uh, left side of the stadium, or when Kyler Murray did the same thing in the same end zone, uh, and Jimmy Garoppolo just took it out and did it at the 10 yard line instead in the NFC Championship game, um, and he just chucked it wildly to Jermichael Hasty. Hasty could have caught it because it was basically like a water balloon toss, it was a very, it was a very slow throw, but uh, it was high and oddly spun, and Jermichael Hastie couldn't handle it, and the most unlikely hero, Traven Howard, picked it off, sealing the game for the Rams. Fun fact, Traven Howard started the season on the practice squad. It did not play a single snap until Kenny Young was traded uh, to the Broncos for Von Miller, uh, which I just think is a very interesting story when you think about how uh, how how unlikely some of the heroes can be. And by the way, Uh, DJ reader did not have his finest game on Sunday either. And overall the Rams linebackers look rough for it. Uh, but when you look at the pressure that they're getting from the guys that they got on the defensive line, I'd say it ended up being worth it. But, uh, also on that final play, Aaron Donald was the one sacking Jimmy Garoppolo, just as they had, just as the announcers had started to mention the fact that really in every game against San Francisco, he hasn't done much this season. So of course when you need it the most, the most important play of the season, of course, that is when Aaron Donald, one of the best defensive players of all time, easily in this generation, comes up
0: big. Yeah, a great win for the Rams. Um, inexplicably, though, Debo Samuel, who's basically unstoppable, a best player on the field, maybe besides Cooper Cup. I mean, Matt Stafford had a great, great game as well, especially late with some t- th- tight throws into tight windows in the face of pressure. But Debo Samuel, I don't think touched the ball. I heard in the final seven and a half minutes yep. of the game, it was now, a long time. the Rams may have had the ball for part of that time. Six
1: minutes of it, probably. But
0: still, that's part part credit to them. Keep the ball of his hands. I realized that the that the, the Niners started that last possession deep in their own territory, um, uh-huh. and you know maybe caused them to get other game plan. But you gotta have your best player touch the ball, especially when he proves he's capable of taking a screen pass and taking it to the house. So um, some head scratchers there. Um, Jimmy G obviously going to face a lot of criticism, is facing more criticism, probably not how he wanted to be remembered um, in his last game apparently as a niner, I think that sealed his fate, that last kind of panicked, uh, as you called it a water balloon toss, it was really a spinning underhand backhand throw or something, pretty ugly stuff to do at that situation, you got to take the sack, can't take a chance, you got to live to play another down, it was third down, not fourth down, fourth down you can understand, third down you just can't do that.
1: And uh, one thing I do have to add is that the Rams finally flipped the script on the Niners in terms of the rushing game and time of possession. Uh, in the first game that they played this year where the 49ers absolutely killed the Rams, the time of possession was 39 minutes and three seconds to 2057 uh, in favor of the 49ers. In the overtime game, it was 36:44 to 31-24 in favor of the 49ers. And by the way, again, that was the closest game, which makes a lot of sense when you look at that Uh the time of possession, but in that game, the Rams had 2.4 yards per rush compared to the Niners, 4.4, 135 yards compared to 64. Uh, In that first game, the Rams also struggled to run the ball, only rushing for uh, 52 yards uh, on 5.2 yards per carry, but if you were watching that game, you know that the Rams were down by so much so early with some turnovers that they had no opportunities to run the ball, and when they did, it was really more of a a decoy to just keep the Niners honest and that doesn't really, the 5.2 yards per carry is ridiculous because it's only on 10 carries. Meanwhile, the Niners had 44 rushes for 156 yards in that game. Basically did what the Patriots did to the Bills in Orchard Park earlier this season. But in this game, as I said, the 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 the, the Rams flipped the script. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. Uh, the Rams had the ball for 35 minutes and 39 seconds of the game, uh, while the Niners only had it for 24-21. The Rams only had two penalties for 10 yards. One of them was a delay game, and then one, I think, was a false start, and that, those were all the penalties they had in the whole game. Uh, they ran for more than the Niners. I mean, this was an ugly running game. The Rams had 29 attempts for 70 yards, and the 49ers had 20 for 50, but 2.5 yards per rush, 2.4 yards per rush. Uh, the, the Niners leading by that decimal point uh, lead, but, you know, when, when you look at the game overall... It really felt like the Rams had more control running the ball. Um, and, you know, maybe without the Niels at the end of the game, the Rams probably actually had more yards per carry. Um, but, look, this game was a hard-fought game. Uh, the Rams were able to at least say kind of even with the 49ers in the rushing game. And I think that made all the difference uh, in the world. And, really, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo could have even been picked off a few more times. Jalen Ramsey dropped one. Uh, and, and, you know, the one thing that we haven't talked about either is, well, Jalen Ramsey dropped a pick six. Uh, the 49ers could have ended the game. They were up, and they dropped a wide open interception in the middle of the field. I don't know where Matt Stafford was throwing it. Kind of in between Van Jefferson and Odell Beckham. Uh, and he threw it, and George just dropped it. I mean, there's no other explanation for it. Uh, and he was wide open, but he just dropped it. Um, speaking of that, Matt Stafford also threw a ball to a wide open Ben Skoranek, and the ball just went straight off his hand. So a lot of drops in this game. Uh, it seemed like both teams were nervous. Uh, honestly, less of a clean-played game. Felt more a little bit more like a college kind of national championship game than it did an NFL conference championship game. Not exactly as sharp as you would expect. Looks like we were watching Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young, not uh, Matt Stafford and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, but that's also after comparing Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, who, you know, even when they're playing bad, still look like they're playing great. Uh, but overall, credit to the Rams for doing their job and finally beating the Niners. Look, McVay started out his career 3-1 and one against the 49ers when he was on the Rams. Uh, and, you know, six losses in a row after that, but McVay got the one that mattered the most in the, when it came down to it.
0: Yep, well, that wraps up our look back at the NFL Conference Championship games. I'm sure in the coming weeks we will be talking about the Super Bowl, but that can wait a little bit. That wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Our next podcast will be on Friday, February 4th where there won't be football to preview, so we will just focus on our weekly in-depth analysis of college basketball action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, and his latest NCAA basketball tournament bracket, which was posted on Saturday, and his next bracket, which will be posted tomorrow. All of that on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.